We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, Cal fans? We are officially in season after your Golden Bears beat the mighty UC Davis Aggies. And so we are live. We are back with an episode of the BearCast, a proud partner of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Andy. Alongside me, Rob. What's going on over there? You know... I rewatched Draft Day very recently. Kevin Costner, Jennifer Gardner. One of my favorite football movies of all time. I don't care what anyone says. Um, but in one of the closing scenes where he's talking to some other team's GM, he and it's like a young GM, right? He On the phone, he goes, Someone on this draft always comes out looking like an ass. I'm trying to help you not be that guy. That kind of feels like where I'm at right now. <laughs> like, looking at the college football landscape after this weekend, like, someone came out looking like an ass. I'm just glad it's not us. I wasn't sure where you were going with that. If yeah. you were referencing me <laughs> and my optimism and trying to essentially get me to tone it back or where it was going. All I will say is Vontae Mack, no matter what. Vontae Mack, no matter what, baby. I keep, that's your top favorite football movies? Goodness. List them all. Let me that's hear That's a top it. five. That's Break out the five. list. Let's go. Top that's, five. That's a top five. Remember the Titans is a top five. Okay. The Replacements, weirdly, is a top five. Yeah, that's fun. Um, and then I would say... You're missing my top. Your top football movie of eh, all time? Top two. Top two. This is number two, I think. Um, What was the one with... Uh, with oh my goodness why am i why am i blanking on what his name is um oh jeez the one i think it's invincible where he plays that like walk on philadelphia eagles player do you know what i'm talking about yes with yeah. um bradley cooper is that <laughs> is that bradley cooper wait I'm thinking of uh oh no I'm thinking of the a totally different one. You're thinking of a totally different movie. I'm thinking <laughs> of uh 
Philadelphia Eagles. I think Mark Wahlberg. Was... Mark Wahlberg. Invincible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a true story of this guy who tries out for the Eagles because the Eagles are having open tryouts. Um, Greg Kinnear plays Dick Vermeil in it. Um, I remember that. I thought it was Silver Linings Playbook. No, Is that no. not about it? I don't think that's a football movie. He wears a football jersey. <laughs> I don't think that's a football movie. That that same argument applies to is that this is going to cause a firestorm, but is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Just because it takes place in Christmas, would you consider a Christmas movie? So you're saying that he wore a football jersey, hence it's a football movie. I mean, as you know, don't take anything I say with movies seriously. All right. The blind side, definitely number two for me. Blindside's definitely up there. Um, and then, but for my list, I would close it out with Friday Night Lights. That's my five. Hmm. Okay. Questionable. The Longest Yard is not making mine, but I'm trying to figure out some other football movies. We Are Marshall. Oh, yeah. That was good. That was good. Uh, the Express. You ever watch The Express? Nope. Where uh, it's about uh, Ernie Davis? No. The first... Uh, African-American to win the Heisman Trophy. I think Ernie Davis is actually the one who... So he played at Syracuse, and then he he uh, recruited... I can't remember who he recruited. He, he recruited another Heisman winning... Uh, oh, no, no. He's the guy that replaced Jim Brown. Yeah, that's what it was. Ernie Davis was the guy who replaced Jim Brown. I'd watch that. Okay. Good movie. Tangent closed. Yep. Onwards. Onwards. Currently drinking a victory beer. This victory beer is sponsored by Bear Bottle and Brother Goose. A collaboration. It's a gooseberry sour ale. And when I say sponsored, it's not sponsored at all. I literally purchased it at the store myself. It's amazing. And oh, by the way. Yes. I love sour beers now. So all of my beers this season will be sour. Unlike our play. That's a that's a good uh, segue. <laughs> that, was, that was a pretty good pivot. I'm not going to lie. That was a good one. That so, was a good one. game day. I want to kind of start with a little bit of the vibe. So, you're going to be my correspondent on the vibe because the Right for California tailgate is popping as per usual. And as is tradition, I said I would be there and then decided that I was just going to go right to the stadium 30 minutes before the game start because I never get there early enough in order to actually enjoy the tailgate. Therefore, our correspondent, Rob, what was it like? And my personal take on this is that uh, it was just good seeing everyone again. You know, it's it's just that, like, it's the first one. Everyone's there. I hated that the game was a little too early. I I really I really love the 4 p.m. kick. 1 p- 1 p.m. is way too hard to tailgate because, like, the guys got set up at 9 a.m. And, like, you can't really do much. Um, it feels way too early in the morning. Like, we had breakfast burritos, but for me, that doesn't feel like tailgating. Like, we need, you know, we need the smoke coming off the grill, like, during the afternoon and all that before the game starts. So, but this otherwise. Where, that's where you and I actually, I like 1 p.m.s. I really like 2 p.m.s. 4 p.m.s, uh, okay, I guess. I mean, and we then, don't like 7 p.m.s. Both of us don't like 7 p.m.s. Unless it's like an away game and I'm just watching at home with a, with some people. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah. That's why I – so my my argument for 4 p.m. games is you get 
towards the end of the season. Like you get a little bit of the afternoon tailgate, you get a little bit of the golden hour, like as the sun sets at Memorial, like day game, and then you get like the second half under the lights. Um, that's the I just that's romantic for me in terms of watching sports. So that's why I love four p.m. kicks. But I totally understand the the argument for why one p.m. kicks are great. I think that the I understand that, and at the same time, I'm thinking, damn, that's a long day. You know, that's a hefty day. I was like, okay, so it's 4 p.m. If you're you, you probably are arriving at 1, and then you're going all the way through, if it's a home game, through that presser, that's like 9. That's, like eight, that's a solid 8-hour day. Yeah. It's a pretty long one. But I would Vers- rather, see, but I would rather wake up at like 10 on like a Saturday, right, versus waking up at like 7.30 or 8 to get ready to go out. You were up at 7.30? I mean, I so I had a barbecue the night before. So, like, I was up. I had a whole bunch of, like, leftover stuff that I needed to take care of. Um, and then also was just up. I was watching a college game day. So, I was just because it's the first one. I just wanted to I just wanted to be up and just had coffee. Was just sitting on the sofa, like, with the TV on. Wow. Not even close. Okay. Tangent closed. Back. What's going on? How is how are the burritos? The burritos were great. Uh, Rico, of course, our legendary chef of the tailgate, does a fantastic, phenomenal job. Um, so yeah, once again, can never go wrong with with our tailgate food. Person that you were most excited and most, but also the most surprised to see. Most surprised to see. You could separate uh, those two. Give me one most excited, one most surprised. Uh, excited was to see Nam back, um, cause he's back in the Bay now. Um, so that was it. I, got, I think the surprise one would be Trace. I didn't expect to see Trace on Saturday. Um, but I don't know why I didn't expect to see Trace. It makes sense that he would be there, but yeah, he was hanging out with us, tail, with us at the tailgate and then, uh, Nam, myself, um nam's fiance ali and uh trace we walked up to the stadium together so yeah it was uh it was just a really good it was it was just nice to see the both of them and those ben and jerry's yeah ice cream cups those, those are miss those are saviors yeah for us yeah oh gosh all right fine quick rant time out so here's my overall perspective and if this loses me the press pass so be it I think that if we want to have a championship caliber program, we should take that mentality in everything we do from a program perspective. And that does not mean that the press box is absolved of that responsibility. And personally, <laughs> the if like look, I'm blessed to be in that box. Blessed. I I'm very grateful to be up there. It's not really, this isn't a speech for me, but if you're a visiting writer, like the guy next to me was a writer. I mean, albeit for like the Martinez Gazette or something like that, but nonetheless, he's coming in from Martinez, dealing with traffic, sitting there watching a Cal football game. And you're going to serve him like fire festival sandwiches. (laughs) I don't understand. Like, why aren't we taking 
it, you should want to attract. Like, I think that that's one of those things to me that, like, I look at this as an indictment of the entire athletic organization. Like, if you aren't thinking about those details and thinking about, okay, like, what's going to happen? Okay, let's say Cal goes 5-1, and one, and all of a sudden you have... Yeah, the press Washington, box is full and Washington coming packed. in. Yeah, and yeah. now the press yeah, press box is packed. Are you really gonna serve sandwiches that have a t- two tomatoes and that and <laughs> roast beef? That's it. <laughs> and he's describing my sandwich. Uh, and then mine, where they didn't even bother to fold the damn turkey the right way on a sandwich. No one's ever put turkey on a sandwich that way. Ever. In the history of sandwiches, no one has ever put turkey on a sandwich that way. I, I they like you have to be an insane person to be like oh this is oh no, or fold the turkey what ah uh, it's so frustrating to me that you could have an experience that poorly and it, it's like it just doesn't vibe with the ethos of where we're trying to go as a program you know you know what it also is too is because like I've been to like opposing teams press boxes now too and uh. Writers talk, <laughs> like right. writers absolutely talk, and they're like, "Yeah, this this food's not good," or like, "Yeah, like that that place had that place had such good food," or like that place like was the the press box was amazing. Like, I know some of our writers got to go to UNC, and I know they had a full on like pulled pork barbecue set up uh, in the press box, which is like drastically different <laughs> from from where we're at right now. It would be so interesting. Yeah, just for the sake of comparison, to get the Notre Dame press pass, just for us to observe how, like, what that's like. But yeah. the issue is with Cal too. Is the the flip side of this is I had this deep immense. Like, I was taking a picture of it because I try to take a picture every time. You just never know, like, when you're going to get back. Let alone the rant that I just went on and the impact <laughs> that that will have. So, I was sitting there taking this picture, and I'm like. Thinking about exactly what you just said, all the other press boxes that I've had the privilege to go to, whether it's Levi's, where you're a million miles in the sky, <laughs> you feel so disconnected from the game because you're so high up. But unlimited chicken tenders. I mean, don't get me wrong. The food there is absolute fire. Yeah, absolute fire. But like from a view standpoint, and then there's others where you're like, I mean, look at Cal basketball. You're like tucked into the corner section. It's, a, it's just a terrible place to observe a basketball game. And and then I just have seen so many different others. And, you know, we, as we looked at and even like as we were experiencing the Cheez-It Bowl in Chase Field, Chase Field was very well set up for baseball, but it was a terrible angle. For, oh, absolutely horrendous. For football. I mean, one of the poss- possibly the worst angle in the entire stadium. So I just had this moment where I was like, you are so you can see the game so well from the Cal Press box. Yep. You get to see when I was really trying to focus in on play, setup, the design, I can see all of that and I can see all of it so easily. You can see how they develop, you can see who like if there's a mistake made, you can see where it happens. There isn't anything that you are really prevented from seeing by where you're located. And yet you follow it up with that. You know, with like in like, you know, this the salad was like fine. It was like even the lettuce there was like that lettuce was like looking like there's other lettuces that look at that lettuce and are like, where the fuck did you come from? (laughs) (laughs) All right, sorry for the yeah. It was was heat. It was hot too. Like so, the windows were open. So like, 
the lettuce wasn't even on ice or anything. They were just like straight up wilting. Like they, <laughs> it was, it was we wilting. witnessed lettuce die. Yeah, that lettuce. The other lettuce is like somebody go help that lettuce. <laughs> You're just letting it die out there. Yeah. Help! I fall in and I can't call for help. That's kind of what the lettuce was going for. Like we needed, we needed to get one of those, uh, one of those saver clickers that you give to old people, right? <laughs> yeah, just that. It's been mashing that button <laughs> that whole time, and so I guess that's my conclusion: is I want us to when you hear Wilcox talk about championship, like championship. And players talk about championships. Championships are one program wide. Yep. Not program specific. You don't win a championship just because your offense does well. It's a program wide mentality. Yep. And to me, we're not program wide on how we were doing that experience. And some people may look at that and be like, that's privileged as hell for you to be able to say that because you're in it. And I get it. And it's valid. But at the same time, I just, I don't know. If you had a major donor that was coming to observe that game, and like that's the impression you want them to have, what well, about like the guy well, that you fair, interviewed that To be fair, knows? if there's a major donor coming in, they're, like, they're going to the university club, right? Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> but all right, so like what? what's to say that I'm not a donor to the program? <laughs> like, <laughs> You just never know who is involved with what. You, I just don't. I don't know. It just feels like you know when you get complacent, you take things for granted and you miss opportunities. Just as I was saying, like I went to USF basketball game. I got to go to their you know VIP section. I got to sit in that, and you start to understand like how this, how other places do it. And uh, anyways, I'll stop there. It was an interesting experience. <laughs> We'll see if I'm allowed back. So stay tuned on that one. <laughs> uh, but let's pivot. Let's, let's pivot. pivot. Let's, let's pivot talk to about on-field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about your on-field experience. You know, I don't know. A lot of people know about your ability to go down there. So maybe just kind of lead us in there. Yeah, I mean, I just I took some video. Um, I took some pictures. Like I, I wanted to make an effort this year to, especially because. A lot of the duties have been handed off, so it frees me up a little bit. Um, we've changed up some of the structural, like game day stuff for Right for Cal, so I'm able to do this, and I've been wanting to do this for a while now. So um, taking video, taking pictures, like I'll probably make a video montage, like for midway in the season, and then I'll make another one at the end of the season. Um, I'm gonna try and take as many video and, and stuff of, of games as as I possibly can. Um, I'll most likely. Uh, be on the field for Notre Dame too. That's the current plan. Like I want to be on the field, like taking video. That's a historic stadium. We're playing there. Like, why not take that experience? Like I can be in the stands, but I also, when am I ever going to be on the field of Notre Dame stadium? So it's going to be very interesting how you parlay the 7 a.m. pregame at the bar in Chicago <laughs> and getting on the field to take pictures. Won't, won't talk about what's going to happen between those two things, but it's going to be very interesting to be an observer to how that goes. I will probably be taking video of all of the shenanigans that's happening. Someone's got to document this, you know? Um, I also promised Ali that I would buddy system Nam and make sure he's on the bus 
from <laughs> Notre Dame. <laughs> so going back, be, yeah, on the way back. So I have to somewhat be of sane mind to be able I, to do that. I need the same thing for sure. I am yeah. actually now pretty grateful that we have the. <laughs> the beer of the podcast because i need to get this tolerance up to be on one right now it's it's solidly at was my first time drinking the last week plus good lord that's also yeah. that's also not even thinking about the malort that we're gonna have to be drinking nah that see that's no but everyone's know. gonna have to have a shot that for people that don't know this story is like someone brought malort to our tailgate last season every time we've had a shot of malort before a game we have not lost <laughs> that includes the big game last year where we drank Malort at Stanford. So we're going to keep that tradition going and drink Malort because you can get it in Chicago. We're going to drink it at Notre Dame. And we're going to hope Midwest that it works. standard. Yeah, so we're going to hope it works. But yeah, that's why I bring up Malort. Oh, God. Good Lord. I hate it. It tastes like, it tastes like gasoline mixed with pencil lead. That's exactly what it tastes like. <laughs> but I'll All do right, it for so the victory. So you're on the field yep. taking pictures. Yep. Team looks good. Or how did you feel energy wise? I know we kind of talked about that in the box. I didn't notice much difference. I mean, it's it's tough to tell you guys because you know, like if you've played in high, if if you've played any sort of team sport at any point in your life growing up, um, you know, there's there's a variety of ways that guys go about their pregame. You know, there's the quiet ones that just listen to music. There's the ones that are like dancing. There's the ones that are like super like getting hype and, and getting their players up uh, or their, uh, their like teammates like up into that type of high tension as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't notice anything different. Like it just, I was like, Oh, okay. Maybe. Cause you know, we also have to talk about how many of these players, haven't really seen the field in, in terms of big time snaps, right? So to get starting roles and all that, like I don't know how how they deal with that and how they deal with the the emotions that come with playing their first collegiate game, like as a starter and as a young guy. Um, so I just figured, hey, this is probably how they're dealing with their uh, their emotions. And that's pretty much it. Okay. Well, now we kind of move up to to kick off and you know it was super hot i think there was a lot made of the attendance this week at both the ucla game and the cal game ucla was 100 literally 102 degrees at game time so yep. i think everyone that's sitting in the midwest being like why aren't there people at the football game it's like okay let holler at us when you're at the game when it's 15 degrees outside take the selfie send it over to us and uh yeah if you have more than 15,000 people there. I mean, look, Michigan, yeah, you probably got that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just like a little bit of empathy for the heat. And that's kind of how it felt. But I will say, student section packed, overflowing into the second section. Don't At least to start the game. Yeah, to start the game. Third quarter started to, to see some people leave when a game looked like it was kind of in hand. And yep. they were all in the sun for two hours. <laughs> yep. Um. And we can kind of jump into the first quarter. What were your overall thoughts? I mean, we came out slow. Like, if, I mean, tell, I mean, just the exact opposite of the Nevada game, right? Like, that's that's what I've been thinking about today. Um, and we're recording this on Sunday. And uh, 
I was just like, man, what in terms of narrative, like and the feelings that we were getting throughout the the game, like Nevada was. We came out, we scored on our first two drives, looked methodical, the offense looked good, it was humming, um, and then it just fell off a cliff and like just was absolutely smashed in the face, and we didn't know what to do, right? Versus this one where we came out flat. It felt like we might have gotten punched in the face, but instead of getting knocked out, we recovered and scored 24 unanswered and then had the game in hand. And I mean, first quarter, if I remember correctly, Cal had negative one yards of offense. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can pull it up here real quick. And then the right. second quarter, I think it was 200. It was like... Cal had negative one, I forgot, Davis 98. And then I'm pretty sure it was like Cal 200. Yeah. And then the second quarter for them was like 50 or something. Cal had four drives in the first quarter, and it was, it ended in punt, punt, interception, punt. So. Yeah, two sacks. Two yeah. two sacks off the blind side. Yep. That one was our left tackle just getting straight up beat, which is concerning. And then the other was a missed pickup by, or they didn't see the corner blitz. What was it the nickel blitz? Yeah, oh, the, yeah. the nickel blitz. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about that with Jesse of Rivals, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It was the nickel blitz, and he was saying that they didn't account for him because he wasn't in the tackle box. Which you know, you, one could argue that they should be accounting for a cornerback blitz or a nickelback blitz, but at the same time, they have they might not have any tape on them actually doing that, so it might have caught them by surprise. So really, MVP of the first quarter, shout out Jasper, friend of the pod, <laughs> Jamison Sheehan, with that punt from the end zone. Huge play. That yeah. was the first quarter, right? Yeah. yeah, he had, uh, well, his punts were 149 yards to the Davis 33, then he had another 55-yard punt to the Davis 40, and then he had a... His long was a 65. Yeah, yeah, and that was it. His long was a 65, his average was 49.8, and he had two that ended up in the opponent 20. Yep. No touchbacks. Great day from Jameson. Absolutely great day. Uh, But it's not good. Not good when you're highlighting the punter being your best player in the first quarter. Yeah. What about you? Like, What were your overall thoughts on uh, the, the first quarter? A little... I really wasn't all that miffed at the offense because it was just like a couple of plays that didn't go. There was just a couple of plays that didn't work out that, you know, that's unlucky. You know, you had the, uh, whatever you want to call it. Maybe it was a post. Yeah. You had the deep ball to the middle. Yeah. The deep ball to to Hunter. Hunter. It was off by like a hand. Yeah. Just missed that route. And if you connect on that, like that was a huge gain. So, that was cool to see, too, because we just haven't – I don't think we've had a quarterback that has been able to execute that type of throw in a while. And so it was very cool to even see that we would take that shot. That just felt different to me. But then, you know, Damian Moore was getting plugged up in the inside. The offensive line wasn't getting much of a push. You have the two sacks. That's kind of illuminating and already, you know, concern for people, which is that the line, you know, may have some issues this year. And then you have the pass out to the flat that gets bobbled like three times. I think it was actually maybe even Hunter. Um, 
that bobbled it. I can't totally remember. Yeah, it was Hunter that bobbled it for the interception. And it just like popped right up into the Davis player, and the Davis player just grabbed it, and you know, all of a sudden they already have. So, so it was like that. But like, really, to me, the concerning point was like, you see, Davis was moving the football, <laughs> like they were moving the ball, and they looked good on offense. And it was like looking at us, and we're like, oh, we don't look good at all. And then you look at Davis, and there's like, oh yeah, they're they're like moving the ball downfield. Yeah, they got a good rushing attack. They're converting third down situations. And I think that was the more concerning part. It's like you expected the offense to maybe be a little bit rusty. It's sort of like that's, you know, casual football. But then the defense from an to sort of be a little bit more uh, like basically to allow UC Davis, like an FCS team to kind of come out and move the ball that way, even if they are pulling out more of your playbook mm-hmm. that you know you would normally see from any other team was just a bit concerning so that's where my concern came from it really wasn't so much like the offense like the sort of like i mean i know that sometimes we get hype in these pods and all that but like the things that i've been hearing out of camp have been overwhelmingly positive and that's really weird you know there's certain people that never tell me anything positive and even they were coming out and being like, this looks a lot better than before. And I was like, okay, like there's got to be something to it. And I think that's kind of what the last three quarters ended up proving. But yeah. there certainly was some doubt that crept in. I mean, they could have gone up 14-0. Yeah, but the and defense held. The defense held barely. Mm-hmm. But they really had that They had that shot to go up 14-0. And you know, there's a lot of ghosts there. You don't want to open up that closet. No. I mean, the thing that that we got, I got in the Discord for like all the right for Cal guys um, was that on the broadcast, I think they mentioned that Cal had not had a good week of practice, um, and maybe that's what kind of lingered over um, to start the game. You, I, the one point that I did love that Jack Plummer made in the post game conference was that um, Musgrave thought that the offense was in a little bit of a funk, so he decided to go with a little bit of a hurry-up to get the guys in, in rhythm a little bit, which ultimately paid off because it sparked that entire... Like, it was just the perfect storm of, like, a turnaround of momentum, right? Because you get the fourth down stop to, to stop them in the red zone, you get the ball back, um, and then and then all of a sudden the offense starts firing with the no-huddle hurry-up offense. So ultimately it was the right call to make. It paid off. Plummer got into a little bit of a rhythm. The wide receivers got into a rhythm, and then it just started to take off. But like every single person that was like texting me or like putting in the group chat, like, "Oh my god, here we go again." I was like, "Dude, please!" It's the first quarter of a team that's returning what less than twenty percent production on offense. Take relax, relax. Like just, I know what I my if my eyes aren't fooling me, I know what I saw. I know what this offense can do. Let's relax. And then uh, I really hope that I wasn't going to get memed out of that for. <laughs> um, and I thankfully the team came back and I did not turn into a meme. Ah. <laughs> kind of sad that didn't happen for personal reasons, but <laughs> that would have been very stressful otherwise. I mean, yeah, we can talk, kind of open it up to the second half. What did you think that... Did you notice the change that Plummer was referencing with Musgrave? What do you think started happening? Yeah, I mean, as soon as as soon as we went the hurry up, right? I believe uh, in after the third. Let me get the drive chart out. Um, 
pulling up here real quick. Yeah, it was just as soon as we we started to go hurry up because that's what he's talking about, right? Is that um, after yeah the turnover on downs and then we punt, but we go we go four plays, eighteen yards, um, a minute fifty seven, and you're like, okay, maybe that that sparks a little bit. I mean, it wasn't a three and out. Finally, uh, we got one first down out of it, and then the second quarter starts. And we get the ball bunt off a punt, and then we th- we score a touchdown. We get the ball back off a punt, we score a touchdown. And the, on those two touchdown drives, we go eight plays for 53 yards, and then we go another 10 plays for 87 yards. Then we go five plays for 52 yards and score a field goal. We go 15 plays for 59 yards and score a field goal to start the third quarter. Four consecutive drives, four consecutive red, goal, red zone trips. Um, actually, the last one wasn't really a red zone trip, but... Um, Close enough. We were at the UC Davis 23. And all come away with points. I don't know how you can say that the offense didn't turn itself around, like with that type of performance. Um, And it just, you started to see the confidence. You started to see the, like my thought, my my thing to Jesse was like, because we have been watching fall camp all, all fall. And it was one of those like, those moments where after the first like drive where they got the touchdown, it was oh, dude, we've we've done this a billion times in practice. Like, it works. We can do this. Yeah. And then it, it just started clicking. The wide receivers were better out of their breaks. There was so much separation. Like you saw I mean the I think the the one play that people should come off of with a little bit more enthusiasm for was not only the touch on the fade pass but also the sheer amount of separation that he got on that fade touchdown. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the thing that you should be looking at going, all right, if we can con- consistently be able to do that, not get that much, because I know college football is not going to give you that much unless it's a broken play. Um, but even half of that, and with Jack Plummer's arm, we're scoring a lot more touchdowns with conventional offense than we did last year. So... Yeah. That's kind of what you started to see, and I'm very curious uh, your thoughts because you're going, you're looking at this kind of blind, right? Because we have been watching fall camp, we have been watching the plays develop and and what they've been doing. You're going off of what I've said, and then all of these new guys. Um, so I'm very curious to see like what your thoughts were on the progression of the offense through that horrific first quarter. Yeah, I mean, this is my Top Gun experience. <laughs> uh, uh. I I had no prior knowledge of what to expect. This man has not think... seen Top Gun One, by the way. I just need that. I just need that on the record. This man has not seen Tom Cruise say I was inverted. Like I I don't I don't know what to do with this man. It's like one of my favorite fun facts. <laughs> uh, I digress. I mean, okay. So I think like let me give you the casual fan perspective, and it's not even like casual. I think like if you don't consider yourself a casual fan, you consider yourself a serious fan. It's I believe that anyone would have this take, which is the Jaden Ott experience arrived <laughs> in the second in the second quarter, and we we saw the beginning of it. We're like, oh wow, Jaden Ott's going to get his first action really early. It was like six yards. He was getting like six yards gains. And it was just a clear upgrade over what Damian Moore had done on the first couple of drives where Damian just looked a little sluggish. And then it was just like this speed and falling forward and you just a different dynamic aspect 
to what we had seen in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So number one. So then you start setting it up, and then I really think the MVP of the I mean, outside of Plummer because he's making the throws. I thought the MVP was Hunter. Hunter had like seven, six or seven catches in the first half for like 60 to 70 yards. And for the most part, outside of the one that was down the line that he bobbled and like brought down and it was reviewed and ultimately ruled a catch. I thought most of them, he was kind of like making like good plays with his hands. And, um, but that really like opened up the offense. And like, as you said, like the one thing that I think if we had gotten Hunter alone in the press conference that I actually would have asked would have been, how in the hell did you get so loose on that route? Like, there was that much space. It was like third and two from the two. <laughs> like, how did he get so open in such a short amount of space? That was very, very exciting to see. And the ball delivered, I said it was like a Jared Goff-esque. I mean, that was my favorite Jared play. He never missed that pass. That fade, Jared's fades were ridiculous. Just legendary. And uh, yeah, you know, I still think he has that throw in the NFL. He does. So, he does. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I think that uh, Plummer... For me, it was was confirming what I had, you know, you read all this, okay, like read, reread Moneyball and what you see with your eyes is different than what the analytics say. And I think if you take like what Peter is doing with the analytics and looking at Plummer's throws and like where he's at as a passer, you know, and how he grades out from deep balls to intermediate balls to short passes. And then you compare it, like you pair that with what I had seen in the tape. And it sort of confirmed what I thought. You know, this guy's got a live arm. He's unafraid to throw deep. And when he throws deep, good things happen. And then, you know, maybe, you know, a little bit more mistake prone sometimes, but he's going to take that risk. And, like, what did we see? We saw basically the same thing and then a little bit more escapability than I think people were giving him credit for. I think a lot of people thought that Plummer's just going to, like, sit back and, like, be a statue, like, be Peyton Manning slow. And, like, okay, the second the line breaks down, but no, he has great footwork in the pocket. He, As the pocket was collapsing, he's not sprinting out of the pocket to the left side, to the right side. He's stepping up into the space that the collapse of the pocket creates and then delivering the ball. And the best pass of the game, even though it was in the second half, so I'll just kind of skip a little bit here, was by, in my opinion, was by far that, that play to Monroe Young. That was the coolest play. I mean, I know, Rob, uh, you, you missed this one, but... Uh, 
the fact that he sat there, the pressure's coming, pressure's coming, pressure's coming. He's like, I'm not throwing it. The receiver's not open. I'm not throwing it. The receiver's not open. I have to wait. The wheel route like has to develop here, and he has to get beyond like that linebacker in order to be open. And then once he is open, I got to deliver the ball immediately because I can't have somebody that's secondary come down on it. And it was like literally that. You just watched it, and it was like, okay, he's not open. Hold, hold, hold. Pressure's coming. Pressure's coming. Pressure's coming. He's open immediate on a fuck on a line and then monroe boom in his hands in stride when was the last time i've said that and then he's off into the secondary and doing things that receivers are equipped to do like you know put put defensive uh backs on on skates yards after catch and so you just sort of watch it's kind of confirmed everything that you guys were talking about confirmed some of the things that i had seen in and I think collectively, I almost wrote this, collectively this, you almost heard the stadium just exhale. It was just like this, oh, like, finally, maybe not another, you know, a fifth year of the same offense yeah. that we have seen. Like, you know, there's like legitimate excitement, legitimate, um, when they would talk about explosive plays, sometimes we would talk a lot about Chase scrambling as an explosive play. But ultimately, some of those plays were broken down and it wasn't intended. Some were when they were like, you know, designed them, but others were not. And a lot of our, I felt like our explosive plays came by design, not by accident. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm looking at this, the scoring differences and like we talk about Ott, right? The dude had, the dude I think had, what, uh, seven yards? In the first half, he had 14 yards in the first quarter, right, on two carries. And then the second quarter, he proceeds to go eight carries for 35 yards. (laughs) Like, the dude just, like, got in rhythm and was just like, "I'm if you're going to keep handing me the ball and you're going to give me open lanes, I'm just going to keep doing it. And just slowly, slowly, slowly took off until he ended the game with over 100 yards rushing. Um, yeah, it felt like every progressive handoff, he was that much closer to breaking it into the next level. Yep. And he'll get there. I think I think this was a lot of the guys, right? You know, we saw DeCarlos with a couple of runs where we kind of felt like, oh, if he if he just high-stepped just one more dude, like one more tackle comes at the wrong angle, like he's gone. Like I felt like that coming with Ott, and I, you know, I kept telling you in the in the press box, I feel like it's coming. I feel like he, he, they're we're gonna bust out for a long run, and it just never came. But the the way he was running, the way the offensive line was getting push and and getting lanes open for him later later into the game, it just felt like it was coming, and it never did. But I hope that that comes against UNLV. I mean, I like the odds right now. Yeah, I like the odds. I think we're 14 and a half points favorites, uh, according to Vegas, which I don't really like in terms of just the bad juju, but it is what it is. Now, remind me, we, we were up 13 going into half. Does that sound right? We were up 17 to 7 going into halftime. 10. Yeah, we were up 10. And then, all right, so halftime, Cal Band's on the field doing their thing. Yep. And we come out, and let's talk about one of the first plays walk me through it all right well there were i think the first half was what i would call like 
it was one that I think the Cal defense would want back. Yeah. I can't. There was the Jackson Sermon. I think that was first half where he like went up and almost high pointed it with one hand for an interception. Yep. Craig Woodson had one that was <coughs> on both of his almost hands. A, looked like a pick six and just went and it just completely dropped. And uh, you know, I think. Oh, am I for? When was Irby's play? Irby was la- Irby was later. Irby was third quarter. Uh, yeah, late in the third. All right. So Woodson, you know, who was out last year with a lower body injury and out the whole season, just after having that play that goes through his hands, is able to kind of step up, jump the route, and then go right in the end zone. Pick six. You know, takers 2.0, whatever you want to call it. But ultimately, just a lot of celebration on the sideline. A lot of excitement for that defensive back group to see someone like that that kind of had the, you know, the clay experience, Mm -hmm. clay light experience, I will say. And, um, you know, that was a a huge play of the game because it essentially put the game out. It was like, all right, this is over. I, I felt like it was like, yeah, like Davis could make it close, but like there was no, you know, with all the other weirdness going on with UNC and with Ace Carolina and North North Carolina State and like you just have all this weirdness kind of happening. UCLA and Bowling Green were tied for a long period of time. This was the one that was sort of like, all right, it's not going to be us. Just as you said to start the podcast. That's what it was. I mean, look, if you didn't know, when the takers, like 1.0, when a bunch of them went to the NFL, right? You had Jalen Hawkins go, you had uh, Ashton Davis go, and a couple other guys. When they were asking them at NFL, like, pro days and, um, like, just any of those, like, events, they were, they asked him, who's the, who's the guy on the roster that you think is going to take over for you guys? Like, you know, hold on to that mantle of the takers. Ashton Davis and Jalen Hawkins both named Craig Woodson as that guy. We haven't been able to see him. He had a great fall camp last year and unfortunately wasn't able to go after that injury and was out for the season. He comes back. And after, as Andy was saying, a terrible first half, um, just execution-wise as a defense, despite holding, um, catches his first interception as a pick six. Like, and the play, like, a couple plays before almost had another interception or a couple drives before. Like, this, it's, he's raring to go now. (laughs) Like, he is, he is like, I, we know about his ball hawking skills and just his ability to track the ball and, and pick it off. And we got to, one, we almost got to see it. And then we got to see it. And I don't think, I don't think he's going to stop here. Like I think, the, I think the dude. This is going to be a jumping off point for him, and I think a lot of fans are going to be loving to to say his name at Cal games this year. Like it's going to be one of those guys in the backfield, like Lou, um, that the the fandom is just going to absolutely uh, love. I love that they gave him the uh, opportunity to lead the you know it chant in the locker room after the game. Uh, just because they know it, what he's gone through. Not only him, but also guys like Blake Ancelados, um, who we saw play later in the fourth quarter as well. Just guys who grinded after, you know, just a 
stroke of bad luck and have come back to be able to play football um, at at Memorial Stadium with in a real game. Um, so yeah, I, that that interception was great, um, and we don't we didn't even talk about Earby's interception too. Yeah, can set that one up for us. So Earby said in the press conference that they, they I, correct me if I'm wrong, Andy. Uh, he said he saw the same route or the same play that was run at him a couple plays before. I thought so, yes. Um, I just can't remember if he said play or if he said route. But anyways, he said that he was told to peel off and attack the ball if he saw that route again. And so that's what he did. He basically he saw the route coming. He waited until the throw was in the air. He knew that he didn't have to track too far um, and just accelerated, beats the receiver to the punch, and picks off the intercept, picks off the, the pass. And it was yeah. just done in such good fashion. I mean, if you if you don't know, the man is a true freshman. <laughs> like, he has just gotten to campus maybe two months ago. And this dude is already pushing himself to potentially be a starter. Like, Isaiah Young had a great game today. Don't get me wrong. He was ab- he was fantastic on the other side of, of Lou. But you, you have to, like, the questions at least are being asked by Irby to Isaiah Young and to Lou. Like, I, I think I'm good enough to push for one of your spots. Um, and so now the, the guys that have had that spot now for the last year are going to have to start answering those questions. And, uh, hey, competition is going to breed better talent. So I'm all for it, um, regardless of what happens in, in that whole situation of who, who is the starter and who's not. I think it was really cool to learn that he was a stellar wide receiver, mm-hmm. you know, in high school. Wilcox said, we knew his hands were good. And then when they saw him in person, they understood they were even better than what they saw. And... That's a pretty high compliment for a true freshman from Wilcox, of all people. Yeah. Uh, especially, it, that was, there's definitely a lot of excitement there. I think to see that was another play where we really got to see it develop. You could see what Davis's quarterback was looking at. You can see him wait, like seeing that wheel route spring what looks like to the quarterback open, right? That's a, that's a big opening. You got the receivers running downfield. There's, you're checking over. There's no one in sight. Like that's a touchdown. I think Davis thought that was a touchdown, and you know he comes over and uh, just makes an incredible play on the ball. Let alone to break it up. You know, let alone catching it. Yeah. It was a, it was a big play. Yep. It was a big play. Davis was once. You know, one of the things that Davis did really well is. And why I think college teams like to schedule FCF, FCS games is because they're going to see an offense that they don't see a lot of. Davis did a lot of different things that you would not ever see Cal preparing for in practice. You know, they're not going to work for the double reverse end around <laughs> or like practice on that one. You know, that's just not part of the practice p- regimen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then. You know, all these different things that Davis was doing to kind of like get open, convert long third downs. And there's just, it was, it was impressive. There was a lot of that where I was like, wow, this offense is kind of fun. And, you know, that was a big play in kind of in stopping, stopping a drive that, like, I don't know how many times, it must have been four or five times where I was like, Davis is rolling again. Yep. 
and you know, that was a big stop. There was the Daniel Scott play on the fourth down. That was a big play. Jeremiah Irby interception and the Craig Woodson INT for a touchdown. Those were very important plays in a game that otherwise could have been closer and had probably had quite a few Cal fans being like, oh, oh. <laughs> Here we go again. Here we go again. Yeah, I we're kind of closing out on stuff to talk about in this game, but I mean the, just the, just the team mentality to come back. And and I think this needs to be said sometimes, just sometimes. And I'm saying this sarcastically. Sometimes the coaches know better than us couch quarterbacks. (laughs) Like, like everyone was freaking out after the first quarter. Um, And, you know, there were some people also in the comment section on right for Cal saying like, why would you go to a hurry up offense? Like, you know, the kid, the guys weren't even like getting a regular huddle offense and plays execution was correct. Like, why would you want to speed it up? Um, but it worked. And sometimes they just, they know how to do things. So the same thing with the Earby thing, right? Like if you and I were to have gone to go see Earby play as a high school player, we'd be like, dude, that is a good wide receiver. Let's bring him in as a wide receiver. But no, this coaching staff goes to see them, see him, and they see a wide receiver balling out, and they go, you know what? I think he could be a really good defensive back. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, granted, I think he did play both ways, but, like, just that's just one of those things where you make that call of, would you rather – like, it's the same thing with Jalen Hawkins, right? Like, he was both a, a defensive back and a very good wide receiver. Yep. Comes in as a wide receiver, but then when Wilcox comes in, changes him to a safety – and now he plays in the NFL for the Atlanta Falcons. So, yeah, like sometimes they just they that's what they're paid to do, and sometimes they get it right. And we, you gotta you gotta praise them for when they get it right, as much as we knock them down for when they get it wrong, right? So they got it right. I mean, even the 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 Jaden Not like as good as Jaden Not is, like I would not be comfortable throwing on a true freshman running back in this type of game when the offense, when the run game isn't running this well, right? Like I would probably, I probably would have gotten into Carlos Brooks, you know, just Mm -hmm. to, just to be like, he knows the offense. He knows that, but just like they did last year, like they're willing to take more risks now. Remember when they benched uh, uh, Chiggy and we were like, what is going on? And then we had the rise of Lumagi Hearns. Um, They were willing to roll with the freshman because of what they saw on the field in practice. And, it paid off. Same thing with Jaden Knott. Uh, granted, we knew what his talent level was, but to roll with him in a game like this when you're down 7-0 and then he gives you that, you think he can give you that spark, you trust him with it, he rewards you with over 100 yards rushing and the first uh, freshman player in Cal history to go over 100 yards since, I believe, Keenan Allen. No. Incorrect. Was it not Keenan Allen? I thought that was the tweet. No. Well... If it is the tweet, it is incorrect. Is it Christopher Brooks? Yes, it is. There was something about there was something else about Keenan Allen that they posted. I'm gonna go find it. Um, okay, it was 2018. It was 20. Uh, sorry, 2019. 2018. Oh, damn. Jaden not most yards from scrimmage by any Cal player in a, in their debut since Keenan Allen in 2010. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a nice little pivot there. Yeah, because. Uh, <laughs> Jaden Nott had 130 yards from scrimmage, combined rushing and receiving, right? Keenan Allen had 158 yards from scrimmage, 38 yards rushing, 120 receiving in his debut against 
against UC Davis is just the same. <laughs> <laughs> History repeats itself. With hopefully better outcomes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I don't want to... I mean, I know we're... So, like, last section here. Let's talk about Jake Plummer. Sure. Jack Plummer. <laughs> my gosh. Uh, I, that's going to happen a lot. No, I wrote Jake Plummer in my article once, and someone totally called me out on it. And I was like, that's yeah. perfectly fine. I'm. It's, it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about our good old friend Jack. Good old Midwestern Jack. Although I don't know where he grew up. <laughs> <laughs> I think... I mean, let me just... I'll break out the the stat line just because I, I did tweet it out on Right for California Live. 23 completions on 35 attempts. 268 passing yards. Three touchdowns. One interception. Sacked twice. His long... Long past the day was 36, and uh, I think they said 11 different catch receivers were involved. I think it was maybe 10 receptions, 11 different receivers were involved uh, on the day, and a passer rating, I believe, was 185. Yep. Uh, there's no passer rating here, so um, that just felt different to me, and I was curious if you felt the same way. In what, in what sense? I just can't, I mean, 268 yards passing, right? Like the 23 of 35, I, three touchdowns. Like, you know, we had some games in the past where we would have three, four passing touchdowns. The stat line would kind of look like 12 of 25, 185, one, you know, 85 on the ground, something like that, where it was more of like, yeah, it was okay. I wasn't totally like this. You weren't really completing two thirds of your passes, but you know th- that type of game. This felt to me like a pure pocket passer type of game. Yeah, it it definitely did. I mean, that's that's kind of what they ask of him now, right? Or like that's what they want from the offense. You know, like here, let me go back. I'll go back a little bit. What do you think Chase Garbers's line against Sac State last year was? Because that's probably the best comp right to FCS teams. I remember it was terrible. We scored, we scored four, we scored twenty nine that game, right, against Sac State. I it seems from I thought his completion percentage was in the fifty percent. I don't think he passed for much more than two hundred yards. I don't know how many touchdowns, so I don't want to take away that. <laughs> you actually, that's that's what's in my mind, but I could be dead wrong. You're dead wrong. He was tw- uh, twenty two of thirty four, one interception, two touchdowns, two hundred eighty eight yards. Damn it! With a long of with a long of forty five. Ah, revisionist history, damn you! <laughs> <laughs> like that—that that was his stat line um, against Sac State. But what I can say is that he also added sixty eight yards rushing on four attempts, right, and a touchdown. So he accounted for three touchdowns, except. One of them was probably off a scramble. I, I revisionist history again. I'm pretty sure it was a scramble. I would assume it's a scramble. And then two in the air uh, with one interception. The only issue here now is that we're so focused on Chase's run game and like his legs and his ability to do that for us um, that it feels weird to be watching a quarterback that's probably the polar opposite of Chase. Like Chase was, Chase was a dual threat. 
uh, albeit like might not have been like an A plus dual threat, right? Like not like a DTR or anything like that. But he was a dual threat. Um, he had a decent arm and he had really good legs. But Plummer is like the opposite end of like the the quarterback prototype, right? He's a guy who sits in the pocket, does the Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, happy feet, shifts in the pocket, moves, and delivers darts and runs every once in a while when he has to. I mean, we we have to mention his one scramble where he uses the pump fake to like totally juke out a middle linebacker too, right? That that was probably one of the most impressive runs I've seen Jack make ever. So yeah, I mean, and also we got to credit the offensive line because the two sacks that he has on that list all came in the first quarter and then never was sacked again. Yeah. I thought, I mean, it just felt like I, it's interesting and it's interesting just overall, because I think that's amazing call out of my revisionist history there. (laughs) Um, I, to me, maybe the difference will actually won't be that significant in what we'll end up seeing. But it just felt, to me, it was like night and day. I, and so maybe it's just sort of like confirming what my bias is. It might be. And my bias might be that like I'm more inclined to want a quarterback that has like a stronger arm, can fit into narrow narrow windows, and isn't going to have to make it up on the ground to be effective. And that, that could just totally be it. I think that could. I think that's a totally viable explanation. Um, I think seeing how he gets those yards, how, but also, I think the one thing we're forgetting is the the significant athletic floor that has gone up in terms of his receiving core. So, like, look at this, right? Yards after that's a, that's actually a really interesting point. Or go ahead and and I'll, I'll talk. I'll speak to that. Yeah, because yards after catch. Let me just look at the numbers real quick. Our yak, right, for the UC Davis game was one eleven. Okay, but we had two hundred sixty eight total yards passing. Our yak for the Sac State game last year was one fifty, and we had two hundred eighty eight yards passing. So the 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 average is about the same, but it just it just felt so much like our eyes just showed that our wide receivers were getting much more separation. Granted, it's different competition, right? Like different players, different competition, and all that. Um, but the separation they were getting, the types of catches they were making, like Sturdivant had a couple a couple of his catches like over the middle that we were like, oh, that's incomplete because we were just so used to. Those types of passes just going into the dirt. But he makes that diving catch, and then he stands up and does the first the first down, like, you know, little um, hand motion. And I think it's just those types of little moments that all of us, like, kind of get our butt out of our seat. And it's like, has that electric feeling, right? Like, when Sturdivant catches a pass over the middle in stride, you know, we, you kind of get up because he's like, oh, he has the ability to, to get a guy, you know, juke. Um, or he has the ability to juke out a guy. And maybe get you know down another twenty five yards um, before we didn't have that. I think a lot of the times last season and the season before it was like he throw the pass, the guy was down, and then we the offense would move. Now every time we catch it, like all of us kind of lean forward, and it's like up, oh, up. Oh, can he? Is he going to be able to do something electric with this? And I felt that a lot when these guys were catching passes. Um, you know, like 
I think all of us did that when when Ott caught that um, little pass out of the backfield, right, for his touchdown pass. He yeah. got it. We kind of jumped. We we knew he had the speed, and we were like, okay, if he just beats that guy to the edge, that linebacker to the edge, he's going to get into the end zone. And we kind of lean forward, and then what does he do? He beats him to the corner, untouched, <laughs> and he's into the end zone. Yeah. So it's just moments like that, I think, that are probably, one, feeding into maybe our revisionist history a little bit, but also, on the other side, is slowly building up our excitement on why people were so hyped about this receiving core and that tw- particularly that 2020 recruiting class. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a lot, you know, J. Mike Servant, uh, Jeremiah Hunter, Maven Anderson. Uh, I don't, I can't remember if Latu was involved. Latu was involved. Two, two targets, two catches. Lot too. Uh, I know. Uh, I don't know if he was in that particular class. But oh, he was. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah he seeing was. a lot of uh, different guys from that class that are starting to make plays. And yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. You could also flip that and say, what were they really not worthy of overtaking a, a Nico Remigio or a Trevin Clark last year? Uh, and is that an indictment of last year? But who cares? That's not a fun conversation to be having. Yeah. Um, I think that it's you saw a different level of athleticism and dynamicism, or like just the just dynamic players in space with a quarterback that can get them a ball fast. And there's a lot of good things that can come from that. Yeah, I mean, things. barometer check is going to be for this offense is. One UNLV as like a pseudo is, okay, can you build off of after that first quarter? Like what you guys did after that first quarter in this UC Davis game, can you keep that going? Can Jaden not finally break off like a 35-yard touchdown run or something like that? Can can Sturdivant or Hunter do that as well and consistently get, you know, separation against better talent? If we do that and we crush UNLV, that builds a little bit that gives me a little bit more hope going to Notre Dame like Notre Dame beat Ohio or lost Ohio State on Monday but you could still tell like just realistically right the the talent level and the athleticism difference between them and us is going to be it's going to be there (laughs) right so like can we keep it in a game can we not get blown out can we can we somehow like keep us in it enough to keep them nervous about potentially losing us and we just capitalize on the just the mentality break who knows um but i i'm gonna be a lot more comfortable about notre dame if the offense comes out firing against unlv yeah agreed agreed defense travels well we'll be fine on defense defense travels and defense it looks like it it has the makings of a the defense first matchup. Defense, I was going to say grudge match, but it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> a grinding, a grinder of a game. Goodness gracious. I was, I was going to say Gruden so grinder, old. but we don't talk about John Gruden anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's canceled. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to close the book on the Davis game. And oh, wait. I do have one tweet about the Davis game I got. Yeah. Let me read that out. Let me read that out because we don't want to do our. 
our guys uh dirty. But we got we got two. We got one from Sid. I was I was I was stressed in the beginning, but understandably, I'm sure the nerves were running high. Just super happy that we got the W. Can't wait to see what Ott does in Pac-12 play. Absolutely. Uh, Gerardo says, "Well, first of all, he asked us a question. Uh, any word on what was up with Moore? Anybody asking the post game?" And then he says, "Man of the match has to be Ott." But shout out to the playmakers on the d- defense. Good to see Plummer bounce back with a nice game after a rough start. I. I'll I'll start with the bottom up. Like, for those that like haven't talked to Plummer or have like his demeanor, that's his demeanor. Like, there was one practice in the fall where he had he had two terrible drives, absolutely horrendous. Comes off the field, doesn't look down or like pissed at himself or anything like that. Just takes off his helmet, talks to the Musgrave, relaxes a little bit, goes back into the next drive, and then just throws darts. And then has probably, I think, two touchdowns, back-to-back touchdowns after. So he's just that type of guy. Just super cool, super chill. Um, no high, no lows. Just loves playing the game of football. And that's kind of, remember his answer when I asked him about that that little uh, juke run that he had? He was like, yeah, like I, I felt the pressure. I moved up. And then, and then when I got past, it was just, I was just playing football. Like I wasn't thinking about like juking him in a certain way. It was just... It just was instinctual. So, yeah, that's just kind of the guy he is. But uh, what do you uh, do? You have any take on what was up with Moore? I don't think anyone asked him, but I think most of us probably know what the answer is. Um, but what was your take, Andy? I, I mean, I'm a huge Damian Moore fan. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why he came out and looked as flat as he did. And it's just one of those. I don't, who knows? I I don't know. I definitely don't know why he looked that flat. I it didn't look like he was missing big holes either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like didn't I think the O line was maybe just as much to blame there. But you can see what the coaching staff really saw. Like, look, Damian's never had burners ever. He's great vision, the ability to break the first second tackle. And that's what I love about him. He's got that like mini Marshawn, super strong base, but he's not going to be the one that's going up the sideline. When you get a Javid Best burner type of player, when you get that speed, Shane Vereen, Shane Vereen had that speed. When you get that type of player, you want to get them involved in the game. And ultimately, I think he just he had his lunch taken. I, I don't know. Like I think Jaden came in and was like getting six yards every play. And falling forward with good fundamentals. And I'm guessing the coaching staff said, we'll give it to him until he's not doing it. <laughs> Ride the hot hand. That's, yeah. And and it, and Damien will have the opportunity to bounce back from that. Yeah. They're not going to – he's not in the doghouse by any means. I think it's just uh, – they came, as Andy was saying, they came out flat. They wanted a spark. They gave it to him, and he came in raring hot. Um, so they just kept giving it to him and he stayed hot the entire game and no one else got in. Um, and they gave Damien a rest to, to kind of reset. I would be very surprised if Damien is not the starter come, uh, UNLV still like we're Jaden is going to get a bunch of snaps, but like listed starter and the guy who starts the run game off. If it's not Damien, I would be very surprised that they've made that change. Same. Yeah. Same. Same. That's it about the game. We got we got one more thing right. to talk about though. Kick it off. Take it away. So Friday. 
Friday. Before the start, actually, I, I mean, college football had already started, right? Um, and they had some games on Thursday. But before the real start, like Saturday game day of Cal football, or not Cal football, but college football, what happens? News starts to break uh, that called the college football playoff committee is uh, meeting to decide the vote for a playoff format change. Um, so here's the article I wrote on Right for Cal. Nicole Auerbach, I think, for The Athletic was the first one to have it. But college football playoff board of managers vote to expand playoff to 12 teams. Six highest ranked conference champions, along with six at-large bid format to begin for the 2026 regular season, unless earlier implementation is possible. So some of the notes from this is the f- top four highest-ranked conference champions would get a first-round bye with the remaining eight teams playing for a chance at the quarterfinals. The higher seeds would host the lower seeds in the first round of games consisting of the 5 through 12 seeds. Uh, approved CFP model, this is from Nicole Auerbach. Approved CFP model allows for first-round games to be played on either the second or third weekend in December with at least 12 days in between the conference championship games and the first-round games. So... You wouldn't have that big lull that you have now, like a full month off um, before between the end of the season and the start of the college football playoffs. According to Nicole Auerbach, the management committee will implement the decision by 2026 and potentially in 2024 or 2025 if possible. The CFP management committee, which consists of 10 FBS commissioners and the Notre Dame AD, will implement the board's decision, including determining matters such as dates for games, broadcast entities, revenue allocations, and sites for all 11 games, and the term of the agreement. Uh, CFP board Mark Chair Mark Keenum says the 12-team format will begin for sure in time for 2026, but they're asking the commissioners to explore the feasibility of implementing it in time for 2024-2025 acknowledges significant logistical hurdles to do so. He also is quoted saying, it's time for us to make a decision. We need to give direction to our commissioners. This is where we are. This is where we think college football needs to be headed. And that is it. Finally. 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 Bravo for nothing. My goodness. What's Uh, hilarious? However. Let me say one thing before I I hand it off to you. (laughs) The most hilarious part about all this because of what you said is that the leaks started to come out on Thursday that they were going to have a vote on this on Friday. And then they voted on this on Friday, and then they were like, yep, we can get this done in two years. What the hell were you doing before? <laughs> Dude, I mean, that is just mind-boggling. Like, after the disaster that happened two years ago, like this should have been easily, this should have been done. And it's just like one of those things where I think like, you often see like a bunch of people pat themselves on the back for doing something that should have been done way easier. <laughs> and you're like, cool, glad you're you're happy with yourself, but boy, that took a long time. I um, is it? I thought it was the five conference winners. So it's not. Uh, that's officially. It's uh, that's what they say. Is uh, let me let me read you the official. Uh, like they have notes from the actual CFP. Number yeah. one, the 12 teams will be the six conference champions ranked highest by the selection committee. No minimum rank. Oh, sorry, six conference yep. champions. No minimum okay. ranking required, plus the six. So what's the other conference? No, no. So what they're Our saying list? what they're saying is that it's not a specific conference. It's saying, you know the CFP rankings? 
one through twenty-five. Yeah. It's the it's the six highest conference champions, regardless of what conference you are in. But you have to be a conference right. champion. But there's six of them. I mean, there's going to be more than six, right? But it's the six highest. I'm confused. There's five. No, no. There's five power five conferences. Uh, so they're saying we're not. We don't care about power five. I mean, mo- we're going to say the but six most li- highest ranked conference. Right. Champions. But how many times are you going to see like the Mountain West champion, the 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 MAC champion, the the SWAC champion? Like they're not going to be in the top fifteen rankings, right? Correct. So yeah. Okay. Just wanted to understand. Yeah. So you, right. you you get it now. Okay. Yeah. I, it's it's good. It's more inclusive. Yeah. And why rule that out? Could happen. Um, I think the one... I only have one question. One, I mean, ultimately, my reaction is very positive. This is great. It's going to be better for the sport. It's going to be more equitable. I think it's better for the Pac-12 because uh, it still gives them a seat at the table despite everything else looking like their seat will be diminished. Yep. And I think that at the end of the day, it's good for yep. Cal. Big, bigger chance that we have, you know, if when we have a good season, that we'd be rewarded for it. Obviously, there's a lot left to, de- to be desired in regards to how long it's going to take them to implement, why we would have to wait until 2024 is beyond me. Like, we're already in. Or, yeah, I, dude, if they don't get it done by 2024, my goodness. <laughs> You're going to see me out with, like, I'll be protesting with signs above my head. And it's just going to say anybody else. You know, but you know what it is, though? Anybody you else. Know what it comes down to? I think it comes down to TV rights. It, That's it what does. it's coming it down does. to. But like any any media organization is going to want the better product, so it's like just fix, just get it, get it figured out. You could figure that's that's a solvable problem. Like there's a lot of things with the NCAA. I look at it and be like, that'd be a hard problem to solve. Like even though I can't stand the NCAA, all the stuff with the NIL, like I look at that and be like, yeah, that kind of seems like a hard problem to solve. This is not a hard problem to solve. It is a better product with more viewership and at the end of the day if you're a media partner it, it's going to be money in your pocket so when there's money in the pocket you'll figure it out because you know it's just the bowl games you figure out the bowl games okay great so like all right we're expanding you have this many bowl games that are now going to be included in that expansion you're gonna have some bowl games that are be pissed that are not included in that expansion and you're gonna have some bowl games that are gonna be thrilled that they're included in it that's where i see it getting a little bit messy but if, come on we can't figure that out. Like my goodness. <sighs> but yes, alas, my only question yes. to you, Rob, is USC specifically cited the fact that the Pac-12 voted against expanding the college football playoff as a core reason to why they left the conference. My question to you is: Is that total bullshit? Absolutely. If that was the reason, they should be coming back to the Pac-12 next week. If that was purely the reason, like, you know what's hilarious about all this, right? Is if that's the reason they left, right? If that's the reason they left, and now this is being implemented, they have a harder chance of getting into the CFP now <laughs> than they would have if they had just stayed with the Pac-12. I know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm surprised they're not running back. I was surprised UCLA wasn't like, meh. I mean, yeah, $50 million a year is nice, but like. I agree. The path 
in the expanded Big Ten is far harder. Look, I think, I mean, I, to be fair, UCLA, I think, went for the money, right? They're not trying to get into the pack, the 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 CFP. Because, boy, they are going to be in the mid-tier of that conference for a very long time. Um, but, yeah, I think SC is like, yeah, we wanted to go to the Big Ten because, hey, even if we lose two games in the Big Ten, we have a shot at the CFP. In this scenario... Probably don't. <laughs> probably you probably don't. do not. So, like, if the first guy is guaranteed, right? Like, let's... I mean, have you seen, like, the breakdowns of, like, what it would look like if they played last year? Or, like, the year before? No. You mean, like, if they, if had, they had, had this? If they had had this for, like, the last six seasons, like, someone did a breakdown of it. Um, or if they had this from the very start of once the football playoff started... Um, what like which teams would have been there? I think the I think the Pac-12 was ranked um, third in terms of appearances by teams. I think yeah. SC had like would have had like two appearances um, with like of course Oregon, Oregon and UW yeah. and, and some others. So and Utah. Utah, yeah. So like I'm look if I'm SC looking at that like, maybe Colorado, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Man, that one season uh, maybe maybe not. But yeah, I mean, yeah. If I'm, yeah, if I'm exclusively looking at this, I think. I mean, I really do think this is a big benefit to the existing Pac-12 members. And hey, that San Diego State Stadium was packed for that Arizona game. I saw those highlights. That stadium was packed. Yeah, our stadium was not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, overall, see, like. This is the thing for me is the one thing I don't or, or it goes it kind of goes both ways. Um, one, I hope this brings more parity to the talent separation that's currently happening in college football. That guys are more willing to go to maybe even a, a, a smaller school or or whatnot, not a powerhouse school, because the playoff is more open now, which means you have more opportunities if you want to play at that level to be a part of that um end of the season yeah at the same time i'm looking at this going man does this i i sure i pray to god that it doesn't end up like just alabama just like drubbing a cincinnati like every year you know i mean i think if you can separate those two because i do think the alabama is probably going to drub a cincinnati but i I don't know if you can separate those two. The one thing that I want to say on this point, because I, I and I do, I think it might be nice to kind of close on this, is like I think Jay Knott represents a very a, a good opportunity to kind of sell why you would go to a program like Cal when you are a top four star, you know, in in that and why. Okay, so I, I have this offer from Oregon. Why you know why go why Cal? Well, because you have a much higher likelihood getting on the field and then where does Jaden not ends up he ends up on the podium with us in the press room first game mm-hmm. first game you know and now he's being compared to keenan allen you ride the bench that entire first season if not second season at those other schools and you know let's say cal ends up eight and four this year and has a really good season there's going to be some press coverage around that. Yeah. 
and you're going to be at the front of it. So I actually think that, you know, and then the playoff, the playoff tying into that. Yeah, I, th- I think ultimately I would hope it does. There's so much going on with like players being paid. It's just uh, really hard to track and like, you know, these investment groups that are starting up to pay players. It's just, it's just like, I don't know if that's really going to balance it. There's some just so many other factors. But more spots, more opportunity, less, you know, and, and I think the Georgia game was really a great example of just like how big this disparity yep. is. These top four teams, like Oregon has recruited at like the seventh best level, and they looked completely outclassed <laughs> by Georgia. Like, not even, it was like they were, like Georgia was playing their FCS team of the week. And you're talking about Oregon. Like, they have talent. Whether or not they were coached well is a different story, but they have the talent to be able to compete there. And um, that was pretty wide. It was pretty eye opening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's ultimately that result, that Oregon Georgia game, that's bad for college football. I do not get me wrong. Oregon fans are overconfident, annoying as hell, and um, you know a couple other superlatives that I'm not going to mention. <laughs> but that's a bad result for college football. The Ohio State Oregon game from 2021. That's a good result for college football. Yep. You want a school from the West Coast to be able to go in the SEC and play on a level playing field. For Georgia to come in and blow them out of the water and make it seem like these two teams shouldn't even ever compete again because it was so ridiculous, it's a bad result. College college football is best with games like the LSU game today, LSU versus uh, Florida yep. State. It's it's best when you have a UNC and Appalachian State that are going into you know overtime. You have a you just. Those are the games that people remember. Yep. I don't think I anyone have ever heard anyone talking about the, you know, Alabama. I mean, we did it today, yep. but about the Alabama USC game from three, four years ago that was out of conference. Yep. Right? No one's coming back here and being like, "What a game that was!" <laughs> Damn, do you remember that one? That was sick. No, they're all going. Do you remember that time Appalachian State beat Michigan? Do you remember that time, Appalachian State and UNC? We thought the game was over in the press box, and then all of a sudden, tweets are coming out saying the game is still going on. We have no idea what's happening. That's what makes college football great. And so the less parity that you have in this sport, the less interesting that it is, and it just becomes you know marketing and media for the top and a bunch of meaningless shit for the bottom. And I, I really hope there's we're kind of at this inflection point right now. It'll be very interesting to say, see which way it goes. That's a good way to end it. I mean, uh, yeah. That's it, folks. UNLV in Berkeley, Saturday, September 10th, 1 p.m. Be there. I will not. <laughs> I'm at a... I will uh, be. And, in, the will be in the stands. I will not. I am at a wedding in San Diego. I'll be watching on my phone um, at Mr. Nick Truheit's wedding. Nick, if you're listening to this, uh, it's going to be a good one, but... If, you, if I'm looking down at my phone during your wedding, do not blame me, please. <laughs> do not blame me. 
you only have one person to blame. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a bunch but, of Cal fans that are going to be at that wedding. Nick is also Calgrad as well, so um, yeah, it's a it's a one p.m. game. I think the wedding's at four, so hopefully the game is in the books by like you know three o'clock, and that gives us enough time just to like relax, change, and then head to the wedding. Um, so yeah, one can one only can hope. Only but hope. at the end of the day, only hope. Congrats to Nick. That'll yeah, be awesome. And then one week from now, we'll be recording another podcast getting hyped for Notre Dame in Chicago. So that's where we'll be. Damn. That's yes, we will. We'll All right. Well, that's it for us on the Golden Bearcast. You can find us on Twitter at Golden Bearcast. You can find you can email us, goldenbearcast at gmail.com. You can find all our written stuff at rightforcalifornia.com. A bunch of stuff is hitting the content table this week. We got PFF reports. We got... Um, introduction to our Discord channel. We've got uh, play breakdowns. We got an around the horn with the writers about the other Cal or other Pac-12 games. We got a bunch of stuff. So if you're not up on it, go uh, sign up, get the premium subscription, um, and be a part of our Cal community. Other than that, that's it for us. We'll sign off as always. Go Bears. Go Bears. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.